the markets. We just can't get enough of them. Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets with your co-hosts, The Finance Ghost and Mohamed Nala. Together, we have more than 25 years of combined experience in the markets. In addition to our weekly free show that you know and love, we have now launched Magic Markets Premium, a weekly show for our subscribers in which we give detailed analysis on global stocks. Every premium show is accompanied by a report covering the company's strategic drivers, its operating environment, its competitors, bull versus bear case, technical trading indicators, and a long-term investment thesis. At just 99 Rand per month, we are committed to making institutional-level analysis affordable for all investors and traders. Visit magic-markets.com to go premium and unlock your full potential in the markets. This episode of Magic Markets is brought to you by Westbrook Alternative Asset Management, South Africa's leading provider of alternative investment funds and co-investment strategies. With over 8 billion rand in assets under management across South Africa, the UK and the USA, Westbrook provides South African high net worth individuals, wealth managers and institutions with a unique gateway to the world of alternative investments. This includes private debt, hybrid capital, real estate, private equity and venture capital. Visit westbrook.co.za to find out more. Westbrook Alternative Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider, FSP number 46750. Before we start this fantastic episode of Magic Markets, I do need to tell you that the contents of this podcast are for information purposes only and they do not constitute investment advice, nor do they represent a solicitation of any member of the public to invest in any security. The investment vehicles managed by Westbrook Alternative Asset Management are available to qualified or sophisticated investors only. All listeners should seek professional financial advice prior to making any investment. Welcome to episode 110 of Magic Markets. It's pretty much the end of January, so 2023 is already one month down. And we're very excited to have the team from Westbrook back on Magic Markets. And this time around, John T. Osher is a name that you will remember from a previous podcast. We've also got Brent Blankfield, who is a new name to us, and we'll find out all about Brent shortly. He's got a very tasteful background, which is how we know he's in Cape Town at the moment, which, Mo, we know is prettier than most other places and certainly warmer than where you are currently, where it is minus a gazillion degrees. Yes, indeed, Ghost. Uh, in fact, last week on the podcast, I was just telling everyone how it was unseasonably warm, and I think that jinxed it. I think our Magic Market listeners were out there saying, oh, Mo, you moved to Canada, you've got to suffer for this. So I can tell you now, it is distinctly cooler than the last time I saw John T. and Brent for coffee up in uh, or down in Johannesburg. Uh, it is a very balmy, in Canadian terms, minus 10 today. And towards the latter part of this week, probably going down to like minus 30. So the hoodies that we were talking about when we started this podcast have definitely come out of the closet again uh, because someone has to stay warm. <laughs> but welcome to John T. Welcome to Brent. Good seeing you guys again. Yeah, it's great to be back and very excited to talk through today's topic. So I think before we, you know, well, we all just stomach what minus 30 must feel like. I think we're all just mildly horrified about that. But moving swiftly along from that, John T. Brent, I think it'll be good if we can just spend a minute on each of you, you know, just understanding how you fit into the sort of Westbrook infrastructure. I think it always helps the listeners just to get a little bit of context to, you know, what you spend your days doing. So John T., why don't you go first? Yeah, so so maybe I can speak on behalf of both of us because we, we focus on the same things. Um, so from a, from a Westbrook alternative asset management perspective, we sit in the South African investment team. So that basically means within the asset manager, as we raise the capital, that capital needs to be invested. And we, the team that has the responsibility to invest that within the mandates on which we raise the capital. At the moment, our big focus from, from the capital we're raising is in the private debt space. 
that includes hybrid capital, which we'll touch on today and how we look for that in partners and businesses, as well as capital into the renewable energy sector. So we, the, the guys on the ground, engaging with partners, looking for the deals. Shanti, thanks. That definitely helps us. You know, if I was an American analyst, I'd say that gives us some color, but I hate that term, um, as the Magic Markets listeners well know. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really cool to now do the other side of the coin, because I think a lot of the shows we did with Westbrook last year were all about, you know, where does the money get raised from and what sort of investment mandates does it flow into? You know, and what sort of instruments do you then look for? And, and this is a little bit of that, what sort of instruments do you look for, for sure. But I think part of what we certainly want to do today is, you know, just understand what makes a business investable for the likes of a Westbrook because at the end of the day and people forget this whether you are taking an equity instrument or a debt instrument you are still investing in that business you know people forget that a debt instrument is an investment too it's just a different one and it's very important in alternative assets you know which is what you guys you know live eat and breathe that debt-led structure is something we've learned a lot about through Westbrook. And at the end of the day, I'm sure the thinking is still not that different, whether it's debt-led or equity. You still need to invest in a business you want to be invested in. So I'll maybe lead in with the first question, which is, we know that Westbrook's model is very much built around partnerships. It's how the entire thing has been built ground up. It's, it's how the business started, really. And I would imagine that as much as it's important in terms of raising money, those partnerships are equally important in terms of deploying it. You know, how do you think about partnering with the companies you invest in? Do you see it as a partnership? Is it a little bit of, you know, the money goes in and that's it? How do you think about that? So, so I think, uh, Ghost, your point's very valid. A lot is talked about on what investors get from kind of partnering with alternative asset managers. But, but ultimately, our business is investing. And investing means deploying the capital into businesses and opportunities we like. Now, the point around partnership takes it to the next level. We don't look to be transactional-led type investors. We look to partner. And, and that can have various different kind of aspects to different sectors, industries, businesses. But ultimately, what we look to do is really understand our partner or client business and what they need and tailor a solution to assist them in achieving that, not give them a vanilla type product that might work or might not work. So I think the first point is spending a lot of time with the business, the industry they're in, understanding how they need the capital, in what forms, what they're trying to achieve with it, and really tailor a solution that helps them with that. Another key thing that we've definitely seen wearing a partnership mentality is speed and the certainty of giving them the capital when they need it. They're obviously more kind of traditional type lenders have different processes that might delay kind of when the capital gets given to the partner or the client. And we, we value speed and execution because we know running a business, you're reliant on the capital that you're looking for to get to the next level or achieve what you want to achieve. Sorry, Ghost, if I can just jump in there. I think one or two key other things uh, just to touch on what you mentioned is kind of the approach, whether it's a debt-led approach or an equity-led approach or the types of transactions that we're looking to do. And really what we're looking to do is we're looking to partner with good operators and, and good businesses. And what we're looking to do is to provide them with a solution that works for them. The way we then look at it from our side is it needs to be good businesses and it needs to be good partners. And then really it is, are we assessing and pricing the risk appropriately relative to the return? And the way we look at that is then depends on the instrument and where we're sitting in the capital structure. 
but ultimately it needs to be a good partner and a good business. And there we can then try and look to provide some form of solution that works for them. I just want to pick up on something Jonty said, and then I'll hand over to Mo. But, you know, Jonty raised a point around speed of execution. And it's really interesting if you compare it to sort of listed companies. So in the South African listed market, you don't see JSC listed companies coming and just raising capital, you know, because we kind of need it for general stuff. That's just not, <laughs> the South African investor market just doesn't allow that. But in the US, of course, you know, when interest rates are nice and low and the markets are nice and frothy, you see lots and lots of capital raises. They're almost a little bit defensive. People know, look, if we raise money now while we can at a nice high valuation, we don't even know what we're going to use the money for yet, but we're going to need it in cycles to come. And that's the joy of being a listed company in a liquid market like the US. I mean, even listed companies on the JSE don't actually get away with that. You cannot raise money on the JSE unless you have a rock solid story why you're doing it. And for private companies, if they need money, they generally need it now. Like it's not really a case of we're going to raise it now and we think we might need it next year. So I can understand that speed of execution point is very well made and I think very important. Yeah, yeah, and it just goes to what a partner really is, right? A partner is a partnership where you're trying to get each partner on each side to achieve what they need to achieve. And ultimately, the slower you give the money, the ability for our partner to achieve what they need to obviously diminishes. So, so that is foremost one of the key things we look at doing. And obviously, there are businesses and partners that we just can't facilitate what they need. So there, it's more around saying no with certainty quickly so, so we don't waste their time in order to try to find what they're looking for and give them the clarity on why we couldn't partner with them in the first place. Yeah, I think that's such an important point, right? Because when you consider this, you're talking to an entrepreneurial market. You're talking pretty much into a niche where traditional financial services providers maybe have failed or dropped the ball. And I think that's really the competitive edge that a partner, a player like Westbrook can bring to the table. But I mean, we've used this word partnership quite a bit. We talk about how, you know, you, you try and get into the business and understand how people go about doing the business. What are their objectives? Can you assist them? Do you sit on the equity side of the capital stack? Do you sit on the debt side of the, of the capital stack? But all of this hinges on a very important component. And that is, you know, you often hear people talking about this, this jockey when you're looking at assets. You know, it's, it's about backing the jockey, not necessarily just backing the horse. How important is the management team when you assess uh, when you assess an asset and i'll tell you why i ask this is that is there a specific subset of skills or experiential backdrop what is that mix look like is there some commonality and how much of your investment thesis actually hinges on management? Because this is something that we obviously focus on quite a bit, even when we look at listed companies in Magic Markets Premium. So I think maybe just a step back from a business model perspective, which, which leads into this question, is we, we are not looking to fund startup businesses. So, so we are looking for businesses and therefore management teams that have a track record of running that business or another business in their previous kind of career or life in a very similar way where there's a track record there, but these businesses just need further capital to unlock the model that they've proven works. So the management team, the jockey, the people actually driving that strategy, their track record and history is very important. But over and above that, even if they've been in other industries and have had a good name of being reliable, honest, kind of engaging with their partners, whether it be creditors, banking partners, clients, whatever, on a very open and partnership-driven basis, we try to reference that as well. So, so we'll try to reference both from a financial perspective, we'll reference from a kind of character reference perspective, but that is very important to us because 
as we said, we, we see these businesses as partners, not as just a transaction that we'll do and, and kind of park in the drawer and not look at. So, so we need to be able to work with these people, understand their mindset, how they look at the world, what they want to achieve, and, and track record management style, kind of how they run their businesses day to day is definitely fundamental to, to what we do. Um, and, and almost kind of our first line of defense is that referencing kind of thing, phoning around, asking, do they know this management team, this person? Have they kind of been good partners in the past in those sectors? Fundamental to what we do. And I think just to add on to that, it comes down to both referencing uh, the partners, the, uh, the management team, the shareholders, uh, making sure that they are honest people, as well as making sure that they are aligned to our interests and their interests. So we need to make sure that uh, when we are investing, because uh, as you would have touched on in the previous podcast, we are investing third party client capital as well as our own capital into these types of transactions. We need to make sure that they are aligned to to ensure that they're protecting our capital and they're protecting the business. So that is one of the key fundamental things. And that would come both into referencing the character of the management team, as well as making sure that their equity stands maybe behind ours or alongside ours, and that they are incentivized to in order to uh, to ensure the growth and success of the business. Yeah, I, I just have a quick follow up on that, right? Because I, I like this because it's the old school, traditional. You know, you look the person in the eyes, you you get a feel. So there's part of that. There's obviously your quantitative models in terms of does this make sense or not. But you know, the follow on question is really. Is there kind of a, a ballpark in terms of how many years of experience or tenure, how much time should this person have actually spent in the saddle, whether that was at a previous company or the existing company? And does that kind of, do you have a hard limit on that? Or is that also something that you kind of qualitatively feel out? Yeah, I think my approach, obviously, being kind of solutionist driven and, and partner driven is not to have a specific type of text box. If you haven't run the business for five years, we can't look at you. It's a holistic approach to where they've come from, what they do, how they've done it. Even if you've been kind of in a corporate and, and had a good name there, that, that's, that's positive for us. So, so there's no hard and fast rule. It's, it's gathering the, the kind of information that we can from various different sources and piecing that together to say this is the right management team, this is the right partner, this is the right business. Um, we, we definitely don't like kind of going into these sort of discussions with very tick box approach to what it should be or shouldn't be. So all that stuff you get taught by your mother about being nice to people that eventually turns out to help you when Westbrook wants to invest in your business. There's, a, there's an important point here. And I think the other important point that you, you sort of touched on there was it's really people looking for capital to help them do more of the same, as opposed to this kind of, you know, high risk venture capital kind of model and i know that westbrook does play in that space not with a debt-led approach necessarily although there's lots of convertible instruments in that we're not getting into that into that today but the angle is very much this kind of debt-led approach there's often an equity kicker you know which makes it a kind of hybrid investment at the end of the day and that must make life very interesting in terms of the underlying strategy of the business. So obviously backing the jockey is very important. I think in a private company, it's the single most important thing. I mean, you guys will know more about this than me, but these private companies tend to, you know, change what they're doing. They need to react to crazy market dynamics. And if you have the wrong person in charge, it doesn't matter how good the business model was, it just doesn't last. But obviously you need to look at the business model too. And when you're taking a debt-led approach with an equity kicker, I guess you need to look at stuff like interest cover, you need to look at asset security, but you also need to look at the upside, right? Because that's where the equity kicker comes into this and gives you this kind of blended return. So it's a pretty interesting analysis. I mean, 
how do you go about doing that ultimately? What is the approach? Do you kind of worry about the debt first? Are we going to get that back at least and the equity kickers optionality? Or do you spend quite a lot of time on the equity upside as well? So from my side, I think it's a combination of the two. Really, when we are investing, we are capital preservation and downside protection focused, where we believe then the uh, uh, the equity kicker is maybe partly some of a sweetener, but really our focus is that we are not going to lose capital into this investment. And I think traditionally, uh, as we are looking to provide a lot of our partners with solutions, this really works for them because Sometimes when we look at a transaction, it may be an element of equity, it may be an element of preferred equity, but our focus is always to protect the downside. So typically the way then we would position that is it would sit ahead of the partner's equity and we would take less of the upside. So when we then look at it from a downside perspective, there's more capital that's sitting behind us, but the partner likes it because if they're buying into their case and their upside case, then they're going to share in more of the upside. So when we look at it, right, Will, and it really depends on the transaction and the solution that we need to provide, we will focus on asset cover, the free cash flow that's being generated by the investment. And we will then model what we believe that equity kicker to be worth. But our core focus will be make sure we don't lose capital. We're able to protect some of the return through the interest rate and the yield that's on the instrument. And then really that kicker is what takes you then into the appropriate or the outsized return relative to the risk that you're taking. So I think ultimately, as Brent mentioned, we can structure around it, but the views on what this capital is going to do to the business, and ultimately that should lead to cash flow. And, and our focus on is, is enhancing cash flow. And the more cash flow we have, obviously, the better for our capital protection downside case. But then if we believe, obviously, in the business and the upside case, and at warrants we in that risk bucket, we'll look to take an equity kicker. But ultimately, we, we are not in this bucket of capital private equity investors. So so we want to leave the, the outsized equity returns for, for the entrepreneur or partner. And we want to facilitate the growth through taking protection, um, but, but also providing it in a way that maybe unlocks what the, what the partner is trying to do. Yeah, I think you've raised both raised some pretty interesting concepts here. I mean, cash flow or cash is always king, but cash flow in this instance is king. Um, I, I want to almost use that as a way to kind of segue into what does the ideal target investment look like? You know, do you look at specific parameters then when it comes to, you know, what is the component of debt on this balance sheet? Is that a debt to equity type ratio or debt as a percentage of the total capital mix? What sort of free cash flow yields you traditionally look at in a business in terms of when you're going in versus obviously the type of cash flows you look to achieve going out. And then maybe as an add-on to that is that, is there a specific size, a ticket size, a business size that you guys would look at? And I'll tell you where I go with this is I'm trying to almost craft a cheat sheet that a potential investee company would be able to have so that they can tick this off and say, okay, great. You know, we kind of fall into this bucket. We should be on Westbrook's agenda. So, so I think, Mo, that, that kind of follows to where we we're talking around. We're not looking to, to fund startups. So it ultimately means there is a business there that has historic profits and cash flows that essentially can grow. But to grow, they need the capital in, in various different forms. So that's where we want to play. We want to play where there is a business that has cash flow to, to sustain a certain amount of capital or debt. And really then take a view on the business with the capital coming in 
to get that cash flow to grow. Ultimately, kind of the coverage ratios would depend on the business itself and how we price it and where in the risk bucket we're playing. But we would look for coverage ratios um, of, of more than 1.25 or 1.3 times of free cash flow to the service cost because we are still looking to be a debt instrument. So we do need cash flow to service us. But obviously, there are elements within the structure and solution that we can do that some of the interest is roll up or we'll take a, a, an equity upside in lieu of a lower interest rate. So those are the sort of mechanisms where in this business's profile might not be able to sustain that level of debt. We can then get kind of flexible in how we do it, call it on the on the instrument that then kind of allows us to take a bit more risk. From a business type and size perspective, we are open to kind of business in any industry. We, we do look for security if we're playing in the debt side of things, whether that security is cash flow or hard security or debtors book or whatever it may be. Our general check sizes are anywhere from, from kind of 10 million Rand to 150 million Rand. I think that drives the type of market we're looking at because as soon as we're bigger than 150, we're playing with the investment banks. And from a cost of capital perspective, that's quite hard to do. But, but we're open to any business, any industry. Obviously, we'd have to vet the risk profiles within there to see at that point in time it's the right place to deploy capital. But, but we are open-minded to who our partners are and what their businesses are. And I think just to, you know, just to add on that, really one of our core investment focuses is to really operate in the niches and in the places where the banks don't or the banks can't. And it's really through certainty of execution, speed, and check size for the complexity uh, of that type of transaction. So as Jonty mentioned, looking from 10 million up to 150 million. But yeah, once you're in that 100 million, 150 million, you're competing with the investment banks. So then it comes to speed. But when you're doing 50 million Rand type transactions, typically these transactions are quite complex and it's often not worth the time for some of the investment banks and specifically also then on the tenor side. So we're comfortable to lend for a period of between 12 and really 36 months. We can push it out depending on the cash flow and the route to certainty, uh, but really it's typically a 12 to 36 month type transaction, whereas the banks are looking to do much longer type deals. So we believe we've carved that niche by doing smaller complex deals for shorter tenor, as opposed to much bigger, safer, longer term deals. Now, one last kind of question on this particular point from me is that, is there a particular sector or subset of sectors that you are looking at. We know that your team specifically focuses on the South African market. I think we've spoken to members of your team that focus on, for example, the alternative energy space. That was a very exciting show. I think it was very popular amongst our listeners as well. But what does that look like in terms of your appetite uh, across various sectors of the economy? Where are you seeing the interest from your perspective, as well as, I guess, from investee companies saying, hey, actually, we see the growth. We actually need to gear up our balance sheets. So I think where we're seeing the opportunities and uh, the transactions really is in some of our key focus areas. So some of our focus areas has been alternative lenders. And that is traditionally because we have a long background and history of investing into asset finance and asset rental type businesses. We know and understand that space. And we understand that until you get to a certain size, the banks traditionally don't lend to those types of businesses. As well as we've seen quite a lot of opportunities within investment holding companies where these investment holding companies traditionally hold a whole bunch of illiquid assets 
that have equity value, but it's quite hard to unlock that equity value. And they're seeing the opportunity to either look to externalize some cash or they're looking to make some follow-on equity investments where they need to be more opportunistic. And they're looking to raise some form of funding at the whole co-level that they can then go and use to unlock transactions. And then where we're seeing it is some acquisition type facilities where there's an opportunity to buy a significant minority stake in a business. And these partners need some form of acquisition funding into their entity or to maybe leverage the or to leverage the acquisition. Maybe it's behind the bank or to fund the whole transaction where we can facilitate and unlock the transaction through us providing the capital. One of our key unlocks there has been the ability to invest across the entire capital structure as opposed to just being a mezzanine finance uh, focused fund or a senior debt focused fund, we can try to provide the entire solution. And what that does is it allows the, the partner to unlock the, the transaction and only have to deal with one partner or one funder, as opposed to having to deal with multiple parties. It's mega interesting. It really is. The, the sort of w- the way a capital stack works, the way the banks sit in it. You know, there's a point that you made, Jonty, that I want to actually explain for the listeners, which is that cost of capital point. So if you haven't worked in banking, that probably went over your head. And I actually want to explain it because it's super important. So in the bigger deals, when the investment banks can play, the way a bank funds itself is very different to the way a Westbrook would be funded, for example, because a bank has the great ability of taking banking deposits. So when your salary goes into your bank account at whichever bank you bank with, and they pay you basically no interest at all, um, and when they give you fixed deposits and money market accounts at relatively low rates and the bank goes out and then lends it out at much higher rates, their cost of funding is vastly lower than a non-banking institution will basically ever be able to manage. And that's not a reflection on Westbrook at all. That's just the way finance works. When you have a banking license, you can get cheap deposits, and when you don't have one, you can't. So it makes absolute sense for you to carve out this niche, which I think you've done incredibly well, just listening to the way you talk and you know, having dealt with some of these deals in, in life myself and seeing what entrepreneurs need and want. It really does make a, a world of sense, and it's a very nice little niche. And the other point that I think is quite important is, and maybe it's a question I'll pose to you, actually, because you'll do a better job of, of, of making these points than me, but the more a business can sort of make itself investable, the better the risk will be priced. Right. I think, Brent, you spoke about pricing the risk earlier. So, you know, maybe a, a nice way to sort of bring the podcast towards a close is, is what are some of the tips that you would give to an entrepreneur? How do you make yourself more investable so that when that Westbrook money flows into your account one day, it's at a, a risk pricing that is more attractive, works for you guys, works for them and doesn't, you know, cost an arm and a leg? So I think maybe it might kind of sound obvious, but but we, we're happy to work with businesses who don't have maybe the best financial reporting, et cetera, et cetera. I think fundamentally we're looking for solid businesses. So it's focusing on making sure your business of what you do is solid and cash flow generative. Like other lending institutions might need the info in a certain way. To, we, we're happy to work with getting that info and spending time on understanding it. For me, it's, it's around the management team and the business you're in. And if it's a business that is profitable and additional capital will get you to the next level, that's the business we want to partner with. And the only real way is for, for the entrepreneurs and management teams to ensure that that is the business they're building. And ultimately, they'll know that based on, on what they're doing, because obviously that's what they do day to day. And, and Ghost, I think just to add on to uh, the point you made about cost of capital, um, where we've seen ourselves often is... And that's why I touched on kind of the term and the tenor of our investments earlier, because our cost of capital is more expensive than a bank. And where it traditionally will work for some of our partners is 
we are comfortable to do a shorter term type transaction, be it 12 or 24 months, where the partner is able to, we can assist them in, in corporatizing the business to an extent, formalizing their reporting. And over time, they de-risk the transaction and then they can actually bring in a senior lender or a bank to try fund them or they are able to unlock the growth that they say they're going to unlock. And unfortunately, at some point, potentially the banks won't buy it on day one, whereas maybe we can spend some time, understand the business, understand the risk and really get you to that profitability or that size where it then becomes interesting for the bank. So you're not locked into a very long term type of transaction. It's more uh, point in type type funding, but it's still a partnership approach. So what I'm hearing is it's really the business. And for those who's, uh, you know, financial reporting and, and, and SARS is maybe not 100% up to date. So I'm sure that stuff is important for you guys, but it, we know how it works in small businesses. You spend so much time building the damn thing. I almost think if your compliance is 100% up to date and all your financials are beautiful, you probably didn't spend enough time on the strategy of the business. <laughs> That's what I keep telling myself anyway, as I sit here knowing how behind I am on certain things. But um, <laughs> there's some good advice in there, which is, you know, business is investable because of the business and because of the management team. So stuff like succession, getting the right people in the right chairs, getting the right mix of clients, getting the right sort of revenue mix, making sure your margins are good. That's the stuff that makes you investable at the end of the day. You know, make sure you've dotted the I's and crossed the T's. You know, that's not an excuse to go and just have none of that in place. I know that's not what you guys are saying. The point is it doesn't help if all of that's in place, but the business itself is not lucrative. No, and I think it's quite a funny thing business guys looking for money will build this financial forecast that's going to show how wonderful their, their business is going to be in five years time internally we like no financial forecast is ever right it's just impossible so so it's not about looking forward it's about looking at the base they have what they've done with the limited capital they've had to date and using that as kind of the springboard from our capital coming in to enhance it so, so it's very important history management team what you're looking to build not necessarily what that turns out in the financial model. Obviously, we inherently will, will build that, but, but you'll never get that right. It's more what the base is today and how that will benefit from the capital coming in. So, so, so guys, thanks so much. I mean, we've really been quite lucky because, you know, Ghost, myself, we've had the ability to tap you guys time and time again. You know, I've had cups of coffee with you. We've spoken to you and other members of the team at Westbrook to really understand how you go about this, both from an investment perspective as well as from a deal origination perspective. And that really was the intent of this particular call is we know we have a lot of listeners out there that have businesses that run businesses that may be interested in, you know, potentially they meet some of the criteria, they may be interested in reaching out to you. So I I'm going to point our listeners to your website, which is in the description of this podcast. So you can find it there for ease of reference, but it's www.westbrook.co.za and that's W-E-S-T-B-R-O-O-K-E.co.za. Uh, and I guess they can find you on, on Twitter as well. We'll put that in the description of the podcast, but Brent, John T, I've thoroughly enjoyed this discussion. There's always so much more we can unpack on these topics. So what we will do is also to our listeners, we kind of ask you to engage with us. Pop us some comments on social media. It's at Finance Coast. It's at Mohammed Nala. Uh, engage with the team at Westbrook. It's at WAM underscore SA. That's at W-A-A-M underscore SA. Uh, and I mean, these are all resources for you as our listeners to go out there tap into this, look at the team, engage with the team. They're open to your engagement. But I've certainly had fun on this discussion and we hope to have you and other members of your team back on future shows as well. Yeah, thanks, Ma. I'm hoping one of our next podcasts can be a success story of a Magix Market listener who we've funded and helped grow their business. So let's keep that one in the bag for the future. 
Yeah, jokes aside, any entrepreneur knows it's not easy to raise money and the banks are notoriously bad with that. So, you know, I think if you if this sounds interesting to you, chat to the team at Westbrook. I know if, I can guarantee the worst that'll happen is you'll get a no and you'll learn something and they'll learn something. That's the worst that can happen. So, guys, thank you for your time, seriously, and uh, much respect for what you guys are doing. Uh, the, the Westbrook brand is, is very strong for all the right reasons and I think it's a reflection of the people in the business. Thank you. And to our listeners, we'll see you again next week. Ciao. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please speak to your personal financial advisor.